Welcome to episode 92 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, don't die. If you're nervous about getting out on the trail, we'll share the top five ways people die and how to avoid them, mostly. Then we'll share a waterproof, windproof, lightning-proof way to make music on the trail. For today's backpack hack of the week, a simple trick that makes using the bathroom just a little bit easier. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Susan Paulus Schutz. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. So I guess in general, I'm a pretty risk-averse person. And so when I approach any new activity, my main question is, am I going to die? (laughs) I mean, that's one of the reasons I play piano and ukulele and started learning how to draw and sketch. Those are pretty safe activities. It's the same reason I have not taken up rock climbing and base jumping. Those have not as favorable outcomes. And as far as backpacking goes, maybe some of our listeners have the same question. Am I going to die? And the answer is yes. Yes. Unfortunately, everyone dies, but the chances of that happening on the trail are very slim. And I started wondering about this question, you know, am I going to die while backpacking when I was reading all of these articles in my Google News feed. Most of the time, the headline reads, hiker body found. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. After reading even just these little articles, I've noticed some patterns that started to emerge. And that pattern is that usually the hiker wasn't just walking down the trail. They were doing some sort of high-risk activity. And whether that's leaving home unprepared, which is a high-risk activity, or doing climbing without gear or any kind of protection, that's a high-risk activity. And they call the people in the articles hikers, but a lot of times they're doing other things while hiking, maybe cliff jumping or rock climbing that they're not prepared for. And I found an interesting article about what's killing America's hikers. And the article is interesting because uh, the the author kind of underscores this idea that that people maybe don't really stop to think about the level of risk in an activity that they do when they go hiking. They just go out there and say, oh, it's nothing. And then, you know, a few of them end up dying. So the author of the article was really promoting the idea that, hey, let's let's stop and think about this a bit because this is all preventable stuff for the most part. And if we just exercise a little more preparation, a little more caution, we'll be fine. And that leads perfectly into today's top five list, which is the top five ways to die on the trail, which is kind of an odd name for our top five list. Oh boy, this sounds exciting. (laughs) And the number one way to die on the trail is to go out unprepared. There was a woman who went out this spring 
just out on a day hike and was completely unprepared. She had been an ultralight backpacker, but this time she was just going out for a day hike. And she got caught in some really rough, cold weather and ended up dying of hypothermia. Of the news articles that you see on your Google News Feed, how many of them have this scenario where the person was just going out for a day hike and then died? Yeah, you want the stats on this? Well, you know, just a sense. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say up in the upper 70s or 80s, a pretty high percentage of people just going out on a day hike or going out without adequate clothing or shelter, and they end up with hypothermia. The number two way to die on the trail is stupidity. I know that sounds harsh, but stupidity just means that you're participating in activities that are outside of your risk management plan. So like we talked about in the opening, rock climbing without harnesses or protective gear. Another classic example of stupidity is storing food inside of your tent in bear country or being generous with your food in bear country. Another act of stupidity that tends to be pretty socially acceptable on the trail is consuming alcohol. It really lowers your IQ, lowers your ability to make good decisions. So that's going to catch some heat from some people, (laughs) but really. It is, but it impairs you. I mean, that's why people get pulled over for drunk driving, and it's why they cause wrecks when they drive drunk. You're not going to get pulled over on the trail for drunk hiking, but that's got to play a role in some of these accidents. Stupidity also means going out without studying the risks. Our family was planning a backpacking trip in November of last year, and it was this really well-known trail in our area. Like when people found out that we hadn't been on this trail, they were like, oh, you've got to go. And so we researched it for our trip that we wanted to do in November with the kids and found out that the trail was pretty slick in some spots, and especially in November, and I didn't feel really comfortable taking the kids out on a trip with those risks. So we really had to make a decision, and we decided better safe than sorry. Sounds so cliche, but we're alive, so yay. If you're looking for some more information about risk management on your backpacking trips, check out episode 80. We really did a detailed dive into talking about risk, calculating risk, and then developing your risk management plan to prepare for a backpacking trip. The number three way to die on the trail is through a freak accident. You know, sometimes even with the best risk management plan, Mother Nature has a way of wreaking pure havoc. And these can be things like an avalanche, a surprise and unprovoked bear attack, a rock slide, a lightning strike. These are things that you just almost can't even predict and can't even plan for. But this is probably the one that you need to be worried about the least. Because it's a freak accident. I mean, you have a better chance of meeting Clint Eastwood in a Walmart than you do of dying of a freak accident on the trail. Yeah, that's the one that we all think about, right? Oh, I think about it all the time. Clint Eastwood, maybe on the... No, not that one. (laughs) The cheese aisle. Right. Processed cheese aisle. But even though being unprepared and being stupid are really the top two causes, the freak accident is the one that plays in our minds. Oh, yeah. Because it's the most dramatic. Yeah, we can't control it, you know, so that's probably why. But it's a, it's much less likely than either being unprepared or being stupid. Or seeing Jimmy Buffett at a buffet. Nice. 
Yeah. The number four way to die on the trail is an intentional death. Every once in a while, I'll see an article where suicide was the cause of death on the trail. If you or someone you know is really struggling with some mental health issues or is even having thoughts of harming themselves, then that campfire time might be an appropriate time to share some of the struggle and to either give support or get support. And we'll put a link in today's show notes to some suicide prevention resources. And Heather, what about murder, you know, homicide on the trail? Yeah, it sounds like it's extremely rare. From what I've heard, the murder rate on the trail is the same as it is in real life on the heavily trafficked trails. And I suppose if you go on some of the smaller, lesser known trails, your percentages drop. Precipitously? Dramatically? Off a cliff? Yes, that's the word. (laughs) Off a cliff? (laughs) Yeah. You would have a better chance of having a root canal done by Dolly Parton than by being murdered on the trail. I'm just making up stats, but that one feels right. Clearly, you are making up stats. (laughs) Anyway, this is something that you probably don't have to give a second thought to. But now that we've mentioned it, go ahead and think about it all night long when you're in your tent. Yeah, you're welcome. And the number five way to die on the trail is a medical emergency. Or if you want to think of it kind of pleasantly, Maybe it was just your time to go. This includes things like heart attacks and strokes. Sometimes they hit while you're on the trail. So if you know you have a family history of heart conditions, or if you've had a mini stroke, then you can certainly prepare. But sometimes you're just so far out there, there's nothing that can be done. And the reason we even mention medical emergencies, I mean, medical emergencies could happen on or off the trail anywhere. But the reason we mention them is because when you're on the trail, you're much less likely to get that two-minute response time from EMS by calling 911. And so because you're further out, you may, you may completely miss the stroke treatment window or the cardiac arrest treatment window. So if you have an underlying medical condition, you need to remember that. And remember that you're not going to have ready access to medical care while you're out on the trail. We found a really fun infographic that kind of talks about different risks and the different risk levels of different activities. And mountain hiking was on there. The chances of dying while mountain hiking? Well, we couldn't exactly figure out how the stat was compiled, but the annual mortality risk among hikers is 1 in 15,700. I really couldn't figure out how they calculated the annual mortality risk. Uh, Typically, an annual mortality risk is calculated in terms of a condition. So, for example, if you have heart disease, then you have an annual mortality risk. Or in other words, in a given year, your chance of dying is one in whatever. Now, with hiking, it probably makes more sense to do it as as an exposure risk, like your chance of dying while hiking is based on how often you go hiking. And I don't think it was calculated that way. I think the way they calculated it was just, if you are someone who considers yourself a hiker, you go hiking periodically or all the time or some of the time, then if you're in that group, your chance of dying in a given year is one in over 15,000. I like to think of it this way. If I go on 15,699 trips, I'm good. But that 15,700th trip is my last one. 
Yeah, and I couldn't tell if that's <laughs> the way it was measured or if it was if 15,700 people go hiking and they do it throughout the year, then one of those people will die during the year. And, and I, I really couldn't tell which way the stat was compiled. Either way, it's a pretty low-risk sport, but there are some ways of significantly decreasing your risk and coming home alive. Well, I think I'm ready to lighten things up a little bit. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Soprano Outdoor Ukulele. Yeah, so far our discussion today has been pretty somber, but I think you would consider the ukulele to be about the happiest instrument on Earth. Definitely. And the outdoor ukulele is not the first ukulele we've reviewed. Uh, back in episode 49, we reviewed the Kala brand Waterman uke. And you know, the response from that episode was really fun. We've had several people post pictures to our Facebook uh, or Twitter accounts of their ukulele that they picked up to go backpacking with. And it's just such a fun instrument. Even though I don't play it myself, I love it when you and the kids pull out your ukuleles and play them. It just... Um, brings a sort of joy to everything. Outdoor ukulele has done an amazing job of creating some really beautiful ukuleles. They put a lot of care into the design and materials that go into each of their ukuleles. So this ukulele is injection molded from translucent composite polycarbonate. And the one that we have is bottle green. It's kind of the, the color of a green bottle, you know. And then throughout the material, there are glass fiber strands that give structure and increase the strength of the instrument, which is really important when you're bringing your instrument into harsh conditions. All of the ukuleles at Outdoor Ukulele are made in the United States of America in Bend, Oregon, not too far from where we are. It's kind of cool. You can order different strings on your ukulele. The ones that mine came with are 100% fluorocarbon strings, which have really great knot strength and abrasion resistance. This ukulele is waterproof, windproof. We've claimed that it's lightning proof because based on our clinical trial, <laughs> we haven't been struck with lightning. So I'm pretty sure you're you're okay. Like, there's a better chance of you getting struck by lightning than your ukulele getting struck by lightning. Good claim? Yeah, probably. Okay, we'll have I our mean, lawyers look into it. It's plastic. It's not metal. Right. And when you look at this instrument, it truly is a beautiful instrument. And that's not easy to achieve when you go away from wood. A wooden ukulele just naturally looks beautiful with all that natural grain and, and natural color. But Outdoor Ukulele has done a great job with the material they selected. We'll have a link to their website on our show notes today, but you'll be able to see there they have different options for ways to customize your ukulele. So one of the options that I chose was the strap button that's on the bottom end of the ukulele. And that makes it so you can attach a strap onto your ukulele. And they also have straps on their website that you can order, or you can always just fashion one out of some paracord or some triptease or whatever you happen to have in your pack. It just makes it so you don't have to carry your ukulele with your hands. You can just strap it around your neck. As far as mass goes, the outdoor uke weighs 18 ounces. It's 21 inches long, about six and a half inches wide, and two and a fourth inches tall. Because of the materials that are used to make this outdoor ukulele, it's high impact and scratch resistant. And something else, which I think if you've ever pulled out something from the freezer in a plastic container and dropped it and seen that container shatter, 
then you know that plastic can be brittle under extreme temperatures. So it has a low temperature of negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around negative 40 degrees Celsius, and a high temperature of 250 degrees Fahrenheit or 120 Celsius. And if it's that cold, negative 40, you're not going to be able to play it anyway. Yeah, I know. You need fingers to play it. Negative 40? Yikes. Whew. But it happens in Minnesota, North Dakota. It gets cold up there. Yeah, I would say instead of packing a ukulele, you might want to pack some firewood if it's that cold. Whew. Yeah, good idea. For investment, this outdoor ukulele is $95. And the strap button that goes on the bottom of the ukulele for holding onto a strap costs an extra $5. And we also mentioned they sell a strap online. Okay, take me back to maintenance for just a second. Uh, the one obvious piece of maintenance on a stringed instrument is going to be tuning. What do you recommend? There is an app that I use that plays, you know, the GCEA. And so I'll use that to tune it. But if you have a good enough ear, you can almost just kind of tune it yourself. Tune it by ear. Because with a ukulele, close counts, right? Close counts, definitely. But I would say if you are kind of unsure about tuning a ukulele on the trail, that might be the one thing that you'd want to learn before you go out, how to tune it. Because there's a good chance the little tuning pegs are going to get knocked all crazy just from being on the back of your pack. Plus the temperature variations while you're out are probably going to screw up the tone as well. Oh, definitely. And another thing with new ukuleles, or I should say new strings, they need to be stretched out and retuned really frequently. Like, depending on how often you play it, probably about the first month, they're just going to be wildly out of tune. Um, and you'll need to tune it a lot more often. And then it'll kind of settle in and the strings will relax and you'll be able to go for a lot longer without tuning it. Okay. So moving on to trial. Uh, what's your experience been like with the outdoor ukulele? Didn't our son take it on a week-long camp recently? Yeah, he did. He took it to camp, and he told me when he got back that he taught his friend how to play the ukulele. It's one of those weekend instruments where you really can become very proficient in a weekend. I like to call it a paint-by-number instrument because the chord symbols that you use are just a picture of where you put your fingers. It's that simple. This ukulele is a little bit quieter, kind of like the Makala Waterman uke that we reviewed, which is great for outdoor use. You don't want to serenade the entire forest. You kind of just want the sound to linger around you, kind of like a perfume, just in your little area. And um, this ukulele does a really nice job of that. The strings that are on here actually produce a really bright sound, and there are other types of strings that you can get that produce a more mellow sound. And so, you know, that's an option too. If you wanted to kind of tone down the strings, you could get a little bit more mellow string instead of a bright string. Another thing I like about this ukulele is that it has a matte finish. I like that for outdoor use because nothing outdoors is glossy, I guess except for fish and water. But really, a lot of things outdoors kind of have a matte finish and it kind of matches the feel of the outdoors. This ukulele also comes with a little chord chart so that you can kind of learn the basic chords to get you started on playing the ukulele. I guess our outdoor ukulele has kind of become like the seventh member of our family. It comes with us on all our little outdoor adventures. We have a little car seat for it. We 
buckle it up. We treat it like like it was our own. And it goes pretty much everywhere our kids go, especially one of our sons. I mean, if he goes over to a friend's house, he grabs the ukulele and it goes with him. And, you know, we go to pick him up from the friend's house and, and the mom is like, oh, it was so cool to just hear music ringing through my house. It's just stuff like that. It just goes everywhere. Yeah. In fact, on our Makala Waterman uke, we played it so much that the little silver that went on each of the fret lines wore off. And one of the things I like about the outdoor ukulele that's different than the Waterman is that there's no um, silver on the fret lines. It's just all one color. The only thing that's painted are the little dots. There's three little dots on the fretboard, and that's kind of so you can know, you know, if you're doing some fancy ukulele stuff way up high on the fretboard, you'll know where to stick your fingers and you don't have to count each of the frets. One of the new colors that Outdoor Ukulele just put up on their website is camouflage. And I just thought that was so cool. So if you really want to go ultra stealth out in the woods, then um, you could pick up the camouflage one, which I guess isn't really stealth. Because if you're going to be playing the ukulele, I mean, it's like having a camouflage bagpipe. You'll still be found. People will know. Yeah. (laughs) They'll hear it, but they won't be able to see you. Well, I think the best way to provide a review of the outdoor ukulele is to actually play it. And when you played a song on the Waterman uke on episode 49, people loved it. So can you pick out a song for us today? Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, thanks, Josh. toilet paper dispenser. Oh my goodness, this episode has had death, ukuleles, and toilet paper. What else is there in life? Yeah, I just have to laugh at this combination. I don't know. It came from my interesting brain. Who knows? 
But this is actually a hack that I'm really excited to share because I came up with it on the trail and it solved an immediate problem. So before I figured this hack out, I would pull out the entire roll of toilet paper out of my quart Ziploc bag. And then I would awkwardly unwind the toilet paper. You know, you can't just pull the toilet paper and have it roll. You have to unwrap the toilet paper. Then I discovered that I could just pull out the cardboard tube from the center of the toilet paper and pull the toilet paper from the inside instead of from the outside. So without pulling the toilet paper out of the Ziploc bag, you can have kind of this feed of toilet paper coming out of the center of the roll. So simple, but brilliant. You can leave the toilet paper in the Ziploc bag. You don't have to have it rolling down the hill after you pull <laughs> it out. You don't have to find a stick to put it on as a, as a toilet paper holder. <laughs> you don't have to do any of that. Just pull from the center of the roll. Ta-da! And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Susan Paulus Schutz. She said, This life is yours. Take the power to choose what you want to do and do it well. Take the power to love what you want in life and love it honestly. Take the power to walk in the forest and be a part of nature. Take the power to control your own life. No one else can do it for you. Take the power to make your life happy. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, then get outside or start planning your next adventure. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. I don't think you could make a sad song with it. I just thought of a whole bunch of sad songs. <laughs> oh, great. Did I mention it's dishwasher safe? No. Just kidding. It's not. <laughs> this ukulele also comes with a little chord, chord, <laughs> chord chart? Chord, 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 ch